Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Align by Design, and I'm your host, JJ Acuna. Today we sit with someone who is a business leader in fashion, a close friend, a confidant, and dare I say, perhaps my unofficial guru. I hope he's okay with this title because I've learned a lot from him over the years, and I cannot wait to share him and his story with you all. The amazing, talented, and super stylish, Michael Kelly. My parents basically told me, you need to work because you need to have these life experiences and this is what's going to teach you about values and respect and communication and service and and I'm so thankful they did. I share my Wendy's story with them because people are are thinking, you came from Wendy's? Yes, I did. So it's not about where you come from, it's what you did. Is it weird to think that if you did not do that Wendy's job, I mean, that was your gateway into Ralph Lauren. 100%. And I used to be embarrassed to tell that story because I was like, I was working at Wendy's. And now I embrace it because it was my gateway. I mean, and through the service I provided and to this guy, he basically told a cashier at Wendy's who's 15 years old, like, I want you to work for me. And that was it. I became the clothing supervisor selling suits when I was 17 at the store. And, you know, and then it just kind of continued from there. It's crazy. Michael Kelly is currently the Senior Vice President of International Commercial Licensing at Ralph Lauren. Michael has since forged his path as a sales associate to global fashion executive in Ralph Lauren since the 1990s. As his responsibilities have grown in breadth and complexity after moving from New York to Tokyo with the company, and most recently Hong Kong to London. Michael has stayed true to himself, remaining grounded and authentic throughout his whole life experience. Today, Michael will share his secrets to professional and spiritual fulfillment, and will hear how he has managed to create balance and success amid the ever-changing and fast-paced world of fashion. We welcome Michael Kelly to the table. to be here and a part of this. Well, the reason why I wanted to have you on board is because I feel like we are leaders in our industry, our respective industry. We are in creative fields. You know, I've never really worked under you or, you know, in in the company capacity with you. But if you were exactly the person that you are to me as a friend, I assume you're pretty chill. Well, I mean, are you chill in in business, I mean? I think it's been an evolution for me, obviously, over the years. And as I've gotten older and more experienced, I've learned that I can be and I should be the same person 
with the same kind of philosophies and ideas that I carry in my personal life into my work life. Um, and that's not always been the case, but I, I feel it truly is now. So I think I'm pretty easygoing and I'm relatable at work and people respect how I speak to them and I'm an active listener, just as I am, as you know, as a friend. So um, I believe I believe that's... Uh, Would that's you it. say that if people gave you feedback about being a boss, would you say, and you are a boss, capital B, capital uh, O, and the last two S's are dollar signs. <laughs> because you're super abundant and you, and you give to all your friends and mm -hmm. everyone. Like, you are not the type to withhold compliments, love. I record, pre-recorded your bio and the intro and basically... I called you a close friend, a confidant, and maybe an unofficial guru in my life. Yeah. So I assume if that's how you are with me, I assume that that's how you are with family and people at work. I would say yes. And it's funny that you use the word guru because I guess in my mind, a guru is a spiritual teacher. And although... I'm not a spiritual teacher at work. I am a teacher at work. And so I choose to communicate with, with people at work and my staff the same way that I would choose to communicate with people personally in my life. Obviously, the topics are different, but the aesthetic is the same. And you use the word boss, and I think it's funny because I used to think of myself as a boss, but I would, I would term myself more as a leader now because I think boss in some ways creates a hierarchy, right? And these days I'm finding that I want to connect with my team at a, at a different level. I want us to feel that we all have a seat at the table, that they should be able to say to me whatever they want in the right context and professionally, of course, but without feeling that there's a layer between us. Or, or and, and this is what I'm striving to do at, at work now. Again, I've already pre-recorded the bio, so the listeners know that you are in fashion, you are with a big name label, and you have a global position. You've opened some of the most iconic stores in the world, one being, I remember when I was in Tokyo for the first time in university, and I saw that Ralph Lauren flagship, the what big white mecca it's like a it looks like a mansion a very american i've been in japan for quite a while and then i kind of missed because i studied there and everything and i i kind of missed america at that point and then when i was walking on that street and i saw that big white ralph lauren shop it's a standalone i had to you know, I was a student, so I, I couldn't really afford Ralph Lauren, but I had to go in. And, you know, Japanese people, they're very friendly. So no matter what, even if I was carrying a backpack and whatnot. <laughs> but, you know, it felt so beautiful, elegant, welcoming. I was in awe. I was in envy. I wanted a house or a mansion exactly like that. It was Americana, but like with a Japanese twist. Wow. And later... When after we became friends, I found out that you opened that store. It's right. it's such 
a gift to, you know, I mean, it, it is retail, but it is a gift to everybody. It's, it's my favorite Ralph Lauren store in the world. I, I spent years working in that store and, and actually my office, the corporate office was above that store at the time that I was working in Japan. And so for me, it's a very special place. But I, I think what you've said is, is very true. That store and that environment is like walking into someone's home. And that is exactly what Ralph Lauren intended. I mean, he's a creator of dreams. Uh, and he's the true originator of, I think, lifestyle fashion, as we would call it. So I think it's beautiful. And one, you know, I, we, we opened that store in 2006 in Tokyo. Um, and then subsequently, we opened Prince's Building in Hong Kong. We have an amazing store in Shanghai. And each of these stores is a beautiful representation of Ralph Lauren, but also takes into account the local aesthetic and architecture and feeling of the country or the city that... Um, that it's that it's built in and that's something I think is very unique to Ralph Lauren as well but don't sell yourself short the, yes this is a manifestation of Ralph Lauren but not a lot of people I always see big brands trying to open flagship shops all around the world and some strike me as cold calculated robotic I don't know what but I find that in, in Ralph Lauren shops and specifically the shops you've opened, there's a lot of spirit in it yes. and there's a lot of soul in it. The way people speak to other people, the textures, the way things are displayed, it's so vibrant and full and, and very deep. Okay, so this podcast is about you, not necessarily your work, but I just wanted to let people understand that what you're doing is huge. First of all, thank you for saying that. I believe that human connectivity is critical to everything that we do. Take out the business component, take out the financial component. And if you really focus on what matters most, it's people. And, you know, at one time I was managing 2000 employees, I guess, in Japan, right? And what I needed to do was connect with them. There were cultural differences, there were language differences. So I studied Japanese and I invested in cultural classes and I tried to connect with these employees because if they understood what I wanted to create in these store environments and they respected me and, and they knew I respected them, we could make that happen. And I think that's what you're referring to is we, we were able to create a sense of welcome for everyone that walked into the door. And you're right, it doesn't always happen in fashion houses. It can be cold and calculating. And we wanted to take that element out of it and make fashion approachable and make our sales associates and our managers uh, relatable. Uh, and, and hopefully that's what we achieved. I guess what I'm trying to lead to is, you know, you're managing, you say, thousands of people and you are with a big fashion house and a fashion label, but you, you're not managing from a place of power grab or a place of negativity and a, a place of fear. Mm -hmm. Where did you learn your leadership skills and your management skills? Did you have to go to school for this or, or is it something innate or is it like a life experience sort of thing? Leadership is defined differently by everybody. And for some people, including my experiences, you know, leadership has been about power and about bringing people under your control and maybe- Or even fear. 
fear and power and control and direct directing people what you want them to do and for me as someone under that at, at in my past i that's not what made me work it didn't make me productive it didn't motivate me and i knew that as i moved up let's let's say within this kind of food chain of ralph lauren i i knew i didn't want to be that way um and, and i knew that i mean did you read books or on leadership I or i did i mean i read effective leadership books and um, but but more than that i I talked to the people that I respected that were leaders to understand how they got to where they were. Uh, and I would schedule touch bases with executives in New York who really had no interest in my career and what I was doing in Japan or in China at the time. But I sought them out um, for, for guidance because I appreciated the way that they were leading. And, and so they taught me uh, a lot about how to, how to be an effective leader. I think it's I think it's a, an individual journey for everybody and there's not a defined way uh, to, to lead people. Who do you look up to in the world as effective leaders? Are there, is there anyone in particular or? I mean, it sounds a bit cliche, but I look up to my boss, Ralph Lauren. Um, this is a man that created a company, a global multi-billion dollar industry and I mean, I'm on Zoom calls with Ralph Lauren, and he is still talking about the things that matter most to him, which is passion and creativity and love and communication. And it's like, wow, I, I can't believe after all these years, 53 years of, 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 of a business that this guy still speaks from his heart. And to me, that's, that's true leadership. And, and I listen to what he has to say because obviously he's done it right. <laughs> so in terms... He seems completely aligned with yeah. with all of that. He really is, and it and it and that permeates through the company and, and how we operate. Great. When we come back from break, we will talk about your whole twenty plus year career with Ralph Lauren. Ridiculous. We'll be right back. And we're back with Michael Kelly. Michael, you've been with Ralph Lauren for something years. We're not going <laughs> we're not going to reveal the exact amount of years, but it's a long time. You started in the 90s. Well, actually I've been with Ralph Lauren. I don't I'm not sure if you even know this, JJ. I've been with Ralph Lauren for more than half of my lifetime. And I started so ten, so ten years. I wish. <laughs> we could double that and. Oh, my God. Um, but actually, I started working at Ralph Lauren when I was 15 years old uh, in 1987. Wow. <laughs> As a part-time sales associate wow. in my hometown. Yeah. Okay. What, what is your hometown? I mean, if you don't mind sharing. Of course, of course. I'm from Glens Falls, New York, a small town in upstate New York, and I worked... Uh, at a polo store in Lake George, which is kind of a summer resort area for people from from the city. Fancy. Yeah, it was. Was it an out? What is? Was it an outdoor mall or a indoor mall? It's an outdoor shopping strip, if you wow. will. Wow. And it was my summer job. I was 15 years old. I, oh and my I, god. 
you know, my dad always wore Ralph Lauren as a kid and he was this preppy kind of cool dad. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, if I have a chance to work at Ralph Lauren, this would be incredible. See, this is what I'm telling you. You and I have so much in common. When I was 15 years old, I knew I needed and wanted to get a summer job. <laughs> I, I, you know, because something innate, innately in me, I wanted to be... For some reason, I didn't have to, but I wanted to be in, like, the service sector at that point. I wanted to learn how to talk to people, different kinds of people from all walks of life. Okay, I didn't work at the Ralph Lauren. I worked at a Blockbuster video, which there's only <laughs> one left in the world. I saw that. You know, there's only one left in the world. So, again, testament to Ralph Lauren's power. I mean... But JJ, I've got a great story for you if you're interested to hear this. Sure. You mentioned Blockbuster, right? Of course. But my first job was working at Wendy's fast food restaurant. See, this is what I'm saying. Okay, so Michael Kelly, who now lives in London, senior vice president, started at a Wendy's. And this is what I'm trying to tell my nephews and nieces. Don't mm. be too don't be too high up for the service sector because part of succeeding in this world is not isolating yourself from other people we are learning now the consequences of isolation from other people it, it's a, it's about connecting to yes. people and, and, and through that connectivity comes opportunity i was i was 14 or 15 i was work i was too young to work the operational components of wendy's so they put me in the front of the house at the you know, customer service register. Amazing. And I was taking orders. But here's the great part of the story. I was, there was this really stunning man that would come in every day for lunch. And this was, again, a summer job. So it was in the summertime. And he was coming in every day and he was beautifully bronzed with great long slicked back hair and tortoise shell glasses and just dressed to the nines. And I got to know him because I knew his order. I knew his name. And he was after, Ralph Lauren. So after, well, so he was <laughs> Yeah, actually, actually. So he, after a couple of months, he said, Michael, I think your customer service is amazing. And I love that you know who I am every day and you know what I want to order. And you're kind of proactively um, taking my order and preparing what I'm going to have for lunch. Anyway, he said, I would like you to work for me. And lo and behold, he was the manager of the polo store in Lake wow. George. Wow. <laughs> And your 20 plus years with Ralph Lauren started there. Crazy. Started there. Were you naturally that kind of kid? Like, you know, looking people in the eye, speaking with them, learning their names, even at Wendy's or whatnot? I think I, I've always wanted to connect with people. I've been somewhat of an extrovert. I find joy in discovery. And I think when you meet new people and you forge a connection with them, um, you learn so much more, not only about them, but about yourself, right? I mean, by default. So I, I think in that sense, yes. And so working at Ralph Lauren or working in fashion was a natural fit for me. It's not what I expected to do long-term, but it certainly worked for me growing up uh, in, my, in my teens and early 20s. So you started working at Polo, and I'm sure you were a sales associate. So this is, again, where we align. I quit the Blockbuster job, and I started working at Banana Republic via <laughs> yes. the Gap. So I've worked retail as well as a sales associate in my summers, even from, in, you know, 
when I was doing architecture school in between, I really wanted to work. Even in Christmas break, I really wanted to work because I wanted to earn my money to afford Christmas presents for my, I have four siblings. There's five for everyone. And, you know, all kinds of people walk into shop and you hear that soundtrack playing and you get over it, but you, you have to work past through it. And then you got to tell about everybody about the deals and the sales and you got to fold clothes. You got to help people in the fitting room. I've done it. What about being a sales associate made you realize you kind of wanted to be with this company for the long haul as a team? Did you know that or was it like inherent? I, I in didn't know that. I, I, I didn't. I did not. And I, I knew I loved the brand. I knew I loved customer service. But I was interested in a different journey. I wanted to travel. I was studying Spanish for like 13 years and wanted to be an interpreter. And eventually when I moved to New York City, I realized that there are better Spanish speakers than me. And so in order to make a living, I went back to Ralph Lauren, right? I mean, I had to interview again to get back into the company. But um, as a sales associate back at Ralph Lauren in New York City, it was a very different game. I mean, it was very intense. It was Madison Avenue, flagship store. And I mean, we, we had some fantastic customers, celebrities and really unique characters. And, and it was fun and it was interesting, but it reached a point of, okay, well, where am I going with this? And I did ultimately have to come, you know, to a decision around what I wanted to do with my future. Um, and, and, and that's really uh, when things changed for me is, is when I made the decision. What forced you to make that decision? Yeah, I, I knew that I didn't want to remain a sales associate and working on the store floor forever. But I knew that I loved fashion and had something to offer. So I made the conscious choice to move into management and work my way up through the company because I thought I could do it. I was intelligent enough. I had enough passion. I loved the brand. I understood the customer. And I thought, you know, most executives and companies don't come from the store or the field, the retail arena. But I could bring something different to the table because I would have worked through all of this, the product, the people. Um, the brand and, and bring that uh, to to my experience, and that's actually what happened. <laughs> so you found a way to go on the management level. How did how did that take you from New York City to Tokyo? And you were in Tokyo for how long? Yeah, I was in Japan for almost ten years. <laughs> that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So the the fun part, and this is why life is so interesting, these simple twists of fate that mean so much. So when I was in high school, I had gone to Japan for two weeks as an exchange student. And then after university, I, I had lived in Japan for two years and I was teaching English. And then finally, you know, I'm working at Ralph Lauren and I'm, I've been with the company for a number of years now, working in New York, now in management. And I said to my boss at the time that I wish there was an opportunity in Japan because I would love to go back to Japan. And as fate would have it, we were opening this new store in Omotosando and they wanted somebody who understood Japanese culture but was coming from the brand and the Ralph Lauren experience and could bring that 
to the Japanese market. And as, as I say, fate would have it, I got that job. Um, and, I, and I do speak Japanese, and so I suddenly was, I found myself living in Japan for, you know, 10 years. Uh, do, you feel that, do you feel that it is fated for you, or is it something that you had authored yourself by design? Just what do you think about that? I think I believe in, I do believe in fate, and I also think that our life experiences bring us to a certain point and bring things to us. And had I not had those experiences as a child in Japan or growing up and, 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 and going to Japan, then I would never have been able to have this, this opportunity or accept this opportunity. So somehow I believe our life's journeys unfold and as they do, they bring new opportunities our way. And, and in you that just, way- You just have to be open to it. Absolutely. Were you always, did you have a vision board as a teen or, you know, or a young adult, or was the vision board in your, in your mind? I never had a vision board. I don't think I knew what a vision board was. I just knew that I had a direction that I wanted to move in. I knew that I wanted to move through the company and, and become an executive and take on greater leadership responsibility. And so that was kind of my guide, if you will. It's funny because even before I knew what the secret was, which I learned from Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Even before I knew what law of attraction was, I was that kind of kid where I, because when you're a child, you're more open. Yep. But I found myself observing the fact that I would imagine myself in situations, not necessarily next week, not necessarily next month as a kid, but I would imagine myself walking down the street of New York wearing a certain thing or having certain friends or being in a certain situation five years from when I was thinking it. Wow. And then I would be doing that five years later and then think back at the exact moment when I was a teenager or whatever that I thought that thought. Manifestation. <laughs> yes, but that I didn't know it as manifestation then. I. I just thought, I don't know what I thought about that. Now we see it as a kind of manifestation. But I find that, did you have moments like that as a kid? I don't know that I had moments of, it's almost like deja vu maybe. I don't know if I had those moments, but I, I do know I realized that I wanted to be in a certain place in my career or in my life, personally or professionally. And then I do remember feeling, oh wait, I've, I'm there and I've achieved that. Um, I think moving to Japan with Ralph Lauren was one of those. I mean, after I was moved, after I moved to Japan, I, I realized this is what I've wanted. And, and the same thing when I, when I moved to Hong Kong and began to develop the business there, I, I was again, recognizing, oh, this is something I've wanted to do. And I always wanted to explore China. And so in that respect, yes, um, it, it wasn't clearly defined, uh, but I recognized it when it manifested. Did you pinch yourself in Japan? when you got there? Of course. I mean, it was a dream come true for me and the greatest experience of my life, uh, it, pers personally and professionally. It's just, it's such a beautiful place. I highly recommend it. So we'll take a break. When we get back, we will talk about opening the third eye. We'll be right back. 
Did you did you know did you know that Wendy's story? <laughs> no, not at all. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. But that's okay, so my my sister and honestly my nephew is like 15, 16. I really want him to get like a job. Just I mean, like anywhere where he has to be in the service sector. Because it, it, it you learn so much. You learn so much. And my parents my parents basically told me you need to, you need to work. I didn't have to, right? I mean, I was in high school, but they told me you need to work because you need to have these life experiences. And this is what's going to teach you about values and respect and communication and service. And, and I'm so thankful they did. And I share my Wendy's story with them because people are, are thinking, oh, you came from Wendy's? Yes, I did. So it's not about where you come from. It's what you did and what your experiences that make, you know, is it weird to think that if you did not do that Wendy's job, you none of it, I mean, that was your gateway into Ralph Lauren. 100%. And I used to be embarrassed to tell that story because I was like, I was working at Wendy's. And now I embrace it because it was my gateway. I mean, and through the service I provided and to this guy, he basically told a cashier at Wendy's who's 15 years old, like, I want you to work for me. And that was it. I became the clothing supervisor selling suits when I was 17 at the store. And, you know, and then it just kind of continued from there. It's crazy. So when you were working at Wendy's, not when you were working at Wendy's, when you look back at Wendy's and then the, the manager walks in and then you treat him nicely and you speak to him and then he gave you a job at Polo. Yep. It wasn't because you knew what he did. Eventually, you found out what he did. It was probably because you just were a nice guy. And that's how you speak to people, right? You never know whatever, wherever you work, as long as you have an open mind, that these people who you, you're in the service industry, so you're servicing them, you never know what kind of gateways can open for you. It, it's so true. And one of the biggest life lessons through all of this is treat everybody, regardless of how they look, treat everyone equally and with respect because you never know who they are and you never know what could come of it. And it's just right, right? We should just always treat people well and respectfully. And lo and behold, you know, I had said, oh gosh, my dad is kind of cool wearing Ralph Lauren. I wish I could work there someday. And here comes this manager and offers me a job. So I believe if the energy is right and the intent is right and you act out of kindness and good nature, then things happen for you. Do you believe in law of attraction? In what respect? In the respect of whatever you think, your state of mind, if you have a state of mind, well, you basically just said it, right? If you treat someone with respect, yes. good things happen to you. you. You've probably heard me say this a million times when we've talked, but I always say karma is a boomerang. And what you put out there is what you get. And if you're feeling down and sad, and we all do, then it kind of compiles and those types of energies come into your life. But if you're able to turn it around and feel good and positive and put that energy out there, it also comes back. So 
I absolutely believe in the law of attraction in that respect. So someone told me recently that the original name for law of attraction was actually law of mirror, which is very interesting because the reality that happens for you around you in the physical world is actually a mirror of what is going on in your internal mind, how you think about things, how you think about yourself. Do you believe that's true? Absolutely. I think that makes sense. Even our life experiences are a mirror of, of our state of mind, our state of being. Good things happen when we're in the right space and bad things happen when we're not. I think it is, it is a mirror of, of how we're feeling. Have you always been, well, I don't know if this is the right question. Have you always been a spiritual person? That, I don't know if that's the right question, but a lot of people, okay, a lot of people believe in randomness. So this guy at Wendy's and whatnot, and then introduce you to Polo and stuff, it's a random event. Mm-hmm. However, other people don't believe in randomness. They believe in fate and karma, as you said, law of mirrors and whatnot. Would you call that spiritual? I think it is spiritual. Spirituality is not easily defined and it's so different for every single person, right? I mean, for me, spirituality is believing in something greater than yourself. And that means a lot of different things. I believe that through intention and thought and life experience, my path has been created for me. By who? You? By me and by... As an extension of what? Source? Yes, absolutely. Universe, whatever? Absolutely. All of these things come into play. Yeah, I believe that I create my own path and it's not necessarily an intended path. I didn't choose every single step, but I believe that the end result is something I've created through experience, through intention, through the universe. Something bigger than me has, has helped guide me and, and, and create where I am today. From a scale of one, meaning completely atheistic, random, to 10, I believe in everything non-physical, where on that scale would you be? Well, that's a great question. I believe anything is possible. And the non-physical is limitless. Now, I don't believe the claims that everyone makes because I think there's a lot of baloney out there and I think that there's a lot of falsehoods that people are perpetuating. But I do believe that anything is possible in the non-physical. And did you always believe this or did you grow up in a spirit in a spiritual household or a religious household or is this just you or is this family or what? Well, I think at the end of the day, it's just me, but I grew up in a household where my mother had grown up very Catholic and was forced to go to another thing that you and I have in common Catholicism. Yes. Yes. And so my mother grew up strictly Catholic. uh, So is my mom. Anyway, I have a whiskey well, next my to mother, me. My mother didn't enjoy that experience, and, and she was still Catholic as an adult. But she said to herself, I'm not going to raise my children, forcing them to believe in Catholicism. So we had a choice as children. She offered to us the chance to go to Catholic school or to Sunday school or to be, baptized, uh, to, to be confirmed when we were old enough to make the choice. Uh, but we were never. And so I, I grew up with 
an understanding of religion, but uh, we didn't adhere to anything specifically. And so my journey began through personal discovery of Buddhism and, and studying what is spirituality and, and finding something that would help me feel more connected to more than just my physical being. So at what age did you start looking at non-Catholic, esoteric stuff? I think I was 19. I was 19 because I remember being a freshman in college or actually a sophomore in college. And I started meeting different people from different backgrounds and realizing, oh my gosh, there's so much more to people um, and, 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 and their backgrounds are different and what they study are different. And it just opened me up. It actually opened me up to uh, meeting who I would call my soulmate. Who is your soulmate? My soulmate, her name is Jane. She's she's several years older than me. I met her I met her working volunteering at a wildlife rehabilitation center in college and she's the one who had this fantastic outlook on life about you know being one with nature and and that we all live in one universe together and we all have to kind of support each other and she began my my spiritual journey for me I would say. And this is and where did she, what are the, some of the things she taught you or, or, or unraveled for you or showed you that you really take to heart? Wow. I haven't really thought about this in a long time. She, she was pure. She was something kind of my first experience with someone who was so pure. She, she didn't judge anybody. And as I say, we were working at a wildlife rehabilitation center, so her focus was on healing animals and um, and being connected to. Uh, did you work at the wildlife rehabilitation center? Yeah, so, so you did. worked we, with animals. I worked with animals. We were really rehabilitating wow. wild animals, and we were using energy work. And this is where I first started getting into therapeutic touch and energy and the use of color. And and uh, and and she was the one who kind of guided me. You were, you were 19, 20 at the time. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was 19. You were totally open book. Incredible. And I was, yeah, exactly. I was open to all of this. So she's the one who kind of became my spiritual leader, if you will, at that time. So she is your guru. She truly is, uh, even to this day, 30, almost 30 years of friendship. So what is one, you know, you worked with animals, you worked with healing animals, and you're learning about the universe as one. Did that blow your, I mean, you grew up in a Catholic household. What was it like to move from a Judeo-Christian perspective to something different? Well, because my mother never forced religion on us, it didn't feel oppressive or an integral part of my life. So moving into the spiritual realm felt, it was a natural movement for me. I wanted something different. I wanted to feel connected. I didn't know at that time what spirituality was or what the source was. So feeling more connected to nature and feeling connected to this woman and starting to work with energy was a very natural evolution um, to, to, to my journey and it just felt right. So when you're working with healing with animals, are you able to heal people as well? Like, did, is that a so, thing? It is a thing, and it was, and so I had never had experience to this before, but we were using therapeutic touch, which I'm not sure. Uh, is that made. Reiki? It's, it's, it's not Reiki. It's similar, except you don't bring the source through you. You just kind of use, you assess an aura of a person or an animal, and then you bring healing energy into that animal. 
Um, and that's what we were doing. But, but we began to, to do that on each other and on our friends. And so we began this whole kind of healing um, ritual, if you will. Uh, and, and that's really where I began to understand, okay, there is something greater than me here. Yeah. And that was an awakening. And also you lived in Sedona. I always hear things about Sedona. I've never been, but I, it's kind of like a Mecca for I, people I, who like this kind of stuff. I had never heard of Sedona, Arizona. I was on a road trip with this woman. Uh, we took a three month road trip and said, we're gonna come back after three months. We're gonna run out of money. Uh, but one night we landed, uh, at, we were in the desert in Arizona. It was dark, we needed a place to stay. We kind of pitched a tent at night. Next morning we woke up and there was this gorgeous waterfall in front of me with pine trees and this plateau or terrace above me. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been. And lo and behold, it was Sedona. And we just decided in that moment, we're not going back. And we ended up living there for a year. And that is really where my journey of spirituality took root and, and began to grow. So you're telling me that you didn't mean to end up in Sedona? You just popped up there? Popped up there and never knew what it was or where we were and and we just stayed. And that's, I mean, that's the kind of- Wow, that is so cool. Because these days, you know, Google Maps and, you know, Instagram and we just want to have an Instagram all the place. So we plan everything before we even go to the place. But what I really love about this story is the place found you. Yep. You didn't find a place, but the place found you. For me, that kind of thing is amazing because, you know, it, it makes me feel like I'll always be taken care of. That's right. In a way. It, it makes me feel better, you know, even though it's woo-woo. I want to go to Sedona. What is it about Sedona that's awesome that you love? It's one of the most unique spiritual places in the world, in my experience. There's just an intense amount of intersection of energies there, like world energies. So there are. There, there, there is. And there's an intense connection to universe. There's intense, an intense connection to the planet. Uh, and there are so many different people. I, I, I met shamans there and Buddhists there and Native Americans practicing rituals. And, and so for me, it was this beautiful opportunity to connect and explore uh, many different areas of spirituality that I, I might have been interested in or, or not known about. And so I highly re recommend going there because I still think it holds true today. For and it's me, just by the way. <laughs> it, it's beautiful. For me, as a trained architect, it, I always had a feeling of sense of place. Every place has a certain energy mm. connected to it. I feel that there are wonders of the world that are wonders of the world for a reason. I feel that there's a reason why people built the pyramids where they are, where, why Angkor Wat is where it is. For me, my reading of Sedona is, it could be, it's just as important and energetically a place as, you know, the other, what do you call it, intersections or vort, vort, vort vertices in the world where, where these things are timeless. Another thing, another space place for me is Ubud in Bali, where you where you go in there. Have you been? 
Yes, yes, several times. It's uh, it's magical. It's like time has just stopped. It's frozen in time. It's timeless, and you just feel this energy of well-being and health. And I feel like my internal systems are being cleaned. I don't know what it is. I I agree with you. Although I think there's two. So. The pyramids, for example, are man-made. We don't know how they were made or what, maybe it's Stonehenge or something. And there's an energy there that is definitely unique and spiritual and, and universal. Places like Sedona or Ubud, the energy that's there is, is, is created through nature. There's not a man-made structure that brings it. It's something that springs eternal. How about, the, how about this? How about this? The, the things that are there are before man. I mean, absolutely. Oh, they're, 100%. they're before man. Okay. Absolutely. And if man builds something around it or on top of it or whatever to honor it, th that's just a response. That's right. I agree with you there. Yeah. Well, there we go. We got to take another break. And when we come right back, we'll talk about balancing our spiritual selves with our day-to-day -day selves. We'll be right back. During our pre-interview, you were telling me about balancing as a way to be a good leader. So what is the key to balance? What is your balancing act like, Michael Kelly? I think working in the fashion industry, you know, it's very go, go, go. It's very fast paced. It's ever changing. And I have the sense of always needing to be on. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, because it helps me, it drives me, it gives me adrenaline, it, it keeps me moving forward. But it's not sustainable in itself. And so balance for me is finding the off switch uh, so that I can connect with myself. And, and for me, that's being alone or it's being in nature um, and, and, and really doing the things that take care of my soul. And so balance for me is having that on switch and that off switch and being able to activate both. I don't know if many people know this, and I don't know if you even know this, but I remember when I was a junior in high school, we were allowed to do like a pre-college program to figure out what profession we wanted to be. And I was wanting to be a fashion designer. Being an architect or interior designer was not even in my purview. I was drawing outfits, clothes, and I would have books and books of like drawings of women in dresses. And then I enrolled myself to, to attend the summer pre-college program at Rhode Island School of Design for fashion. I got in. My mother found out. She got so mad and so depressed and so angry. My dad had to fly to Providence, Rhode Island without asking me. Asked them to change my pre-college summer major from fashion to architecture. And it just so happened someone who got into architecture was wanting to go into fashion. And wow. then before going to 
RISD for that summer, I found out that my dad changed me to architecture. But that's because there was a perception that fashion is super, like you'll fail, it's cutthroat, really bitchy industry, mean. You know, why do you think it has that? I mean, you're in the fashion industry. Am I wrong or is it a perception or what? I don't think you're wrong. And I think it is, it can be cutthroat. And it's, you know, fashion changes every season. There's new collections, there's new trends uh, at every level in fashion from H&M and Gap all the way up to to fashion houses in in Paris. How do you deal with this situation? Is that part of what the balancing act is all about? Well, you know, it kind of goes back to what we spoke about, and I, from, with regards to being a leader, I mean, you can be an aggressive, dominant, forceful leader, or or you can be somebody that listens and and wants to understand the situation. And so, for me, being in the fashion industry, I've taken that second kind of approach, which is I'm not caught up in the rat race. I, I I'm not involved in all of those things. I understand trends. I understand what what's happening. But for me, I'm focusing on my job and what do I need to accomplish and 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 not get caught up in in all of that drama because it does exist, but. You only are a part of it if you allow yourself to be a part of it. I'm only, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm only bringing up the fashion thing because you're in fashion. Yeah. But, you know, finance or, yeah. you know, there are other jobs which is, could be toxic. Absolutely. Even architecture, even interior design, you know, if you have egos and whatnot. Do you, so this is, I love fashion. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not working in it. I'm an interior designer. So what is your advice for people who want to be in a global position like you. But what, what is your advice for them regarding balance and what? Yeah, I would, I think that one of my biggest life lessons and also what has helped me become a successful leader, but also a great friend is, is being an active listener. And I think no matter what your industry is, you know, people talk at each other. They share information constantly. But how much are we actually listening Never. to? Right. Right? And, and like, listen to what somebody is saying to you. It doesn't matter whether it's a friend or a family member or a coworker or, or someone that works, um, is an employee. Listen to what they say because there's a reason they're telling it to you. And if you can absorb what they're saying, you can respond with, with meaning. And, and that's the most important thing I've learned. And that has helped me guide myself in, in the direction I take in, in my work. Is listening an extension of empathy? Yes, I would say 100%. So you have to be an empathetic person or you have to learn to have empathy for others. I think you don't always have to agree with what the person's saying or you don't have to identify with what they're saying. But if you're listening to them, you can at least form an opinion that is based on not only what you believe, but what someone else is feeling or thinking. And, and, and that's balance, right? What are the kind of things that you do practice-wise by yourself that helps you be a better listener? Wow. So... I, I wouldn't say it's specific to being a better listener, but when I feel balanced, 
when I feel like I'm balanced or I'm in a balanced environment, then by default, I become an active listener or a better listener. So, you know, when I walk into my office every day, it's, it's interesting. I, I walk into my office and I'm kind of overwhelmed, you know, with this sense of peace and calm because I have kind of my candles, I've got my crystals and I've got my incense or, or my diffuser. And so I walk into an environment that I've created that feels safe and feels good and warm and strong. And so that helps me, whether I'm going to jump into five Zoom meetings or, or have to plan a business strategy, it helps me center myself um, and, and be prepared to listen to other people and to contribute um, holistically. So you contribute holistically, which is absolutely wonderful. So you've set up your workspace at work that yep. to make it work for you emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be candles or crystals. It could be anything, photos of family or... Yeah. or but you know, what, you, what I've also found though, JJ, it's interesting when people come into my office, they suddenly like drop this shield and they always comment, at least people that have come in for the first time, they're, oh my gosh, this is so warm. It smells great in here. What are you doing? And it kind of breaks the ice and sets the tone. So it doesn't have to be those things, but it's what works for me. Yeah. You know what? It's, I think we're bringing this three, full circle, 360, back to where we started when mm -hmm. I was talking about the kind of soul and spirit I feel in your Amoto Sando store in Tokyo, it, there's just a, a kind of a sense of, I don't know, like there's a soul behind mm -hmm. it. And I feel like it, it's an extension of you helping open the store and whatnot because it's your spirit and personality in. But I also think that you feel a certain way about your job. You love your job. Like it doesn't feel like a job, you know, it's, it feels fun. Like for me, what I do as an interior designer, I feel it's not a job at all. I, mm -hmm. I love going, showing up and I, and you know, the office is reflected that way. I live for it. So do you have to love your job in order to make a space for yourself within it? Or you just say, if you don't like what you're doing, you have to do something else. I... I think it's a combination really because I don't always love what I what I do and sometimes it's very challenging and and I may not be doing aspects of my job that I, I, I believe in or I want to do but as long as I stay true to myself and I feel good about what I'm doing overall then I feel I, I feel okay about what I'm doing I feel good about what I'm doing and, and that's 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 what's most important it's not always easy. It's not always right. Uh, but overall, if you find purpose in what you do, it's, it's, it's the right thing. Okay. So I'm glad that you segued, not segued, but I'm glad you responded that way because it made me think people, when people think, when I say spiritual, like what is the spiritual self or what is the spiritual component? Mm. This podcast is, is categorized under spirituality, right? When people, when I say spirit, the problem with the word is it makes people think of this like ghostly figure with a halo and, and, and wings that is outside of yourself. Right. When I mean by spirit, I really mean your soul. And I really mean the spirit, the spiritual driving force inside of you, which is beyond your skin and bones yep. to me. So 
and also I listen to K-pop and there's this like singer named Rose from Blackpink and she just I know her. It's you know she just has this song called On the Ground. It's not about what is outside because the outside is it's like vibration. It just moves and changes all the ra- all around. For me, my interpretation of what you your answer is is that you things around you even there's sometimes stuff you cannot control. Sometimes retail is down because everyone cannot go out to the shopping mall and whatnot. So that affects you and what you do and and all of that stuff. So all of these things are happening all around. So whether it it is work or day-to-day life, if you are, you need to be centered inside, basically is what I'm trying to say and listen to your gut instinct. Why am I doing this job? Why am I an interior designer? Why am I working at Ralph? How can I contribute to myself and to the operation, to the organization, to my team, to the people who look up to me to tell them what to do? I think there's so much noise in the world and things want to interfere with our path and our way forward. We may have an objective, as you're saying, maybe it's a work-related objective or a goal that we have in life. And there's so many disruptions, especially in the world that we live in today. What I have learned is that I can't let those disruptions throw me off track. I need to think about the long-term goals and, my, and ultimately what's important to me and, and not let those things interfere. It's not easy to do, but by finding balance and going back to the things that mean a lot to me, like alone time or meditation or connecting with friends and family, by making sure that I keep those a part of my life it allows me to move the interference out and stay focused. So let's do tips and tricks, okay? So make a space that's comfortable for you to work and live in, right? You kind of mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, the same way I create an environment in my office that feels safe and warm, I do the same at home. I mean, surrounding yourselves, and I think you may have mentioned this earlier, with with photos of family and friends or things, souvenirs from life that mean a lot to me from my experiences. Surrounding myself with those things keep me grounded, keep me feeling safe um, everywhere, right? You know, whether it's at home or, or in the office. So... I, be- I agree. For me, it's art that I acquire, books that I love, plants, cr- my crystals and rocks. Now, you, no one needs to have crystals and rocks. I mean, I would like to say you need to have crystals and rocks because they have their energy, their vibratory energy, and they were around on this planet before you were. Yep. That said, you don't need that, but I need it for me. Um, and then also, what do you recommend people do every day? What What is meditation? How do you meditate, for example? So for me to be grounded, um, it may not necessarily be meditation every day, but I need to connect when I'm feeling stress or insecurity or, or, or I'm unsure. I need to do the things that make me feel good. Um, so maybe that is meditation or it's listening to music or an artist that I absolutely love. It, ex- exploring my next travel opportunity and researching this online or finding new destinations, doing those things. It's different every day depending on my mood, but I do make the time to do those things and that brings me back into a safe space, a balanced space. So basically you have to remain excited. 
I think so. You have to remain motivated, and that's not always easy to do. But if you are thing, if you've identified things that you love and that bring you joy, going back to those things is 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 a way to to feel good every day. Okay, amazing. We love that. We're out of time, and I wish we had more hours to spend together. My last question for you is. If we want to be as successful and as balanced as you are, what is your advice? Any last words? My last words would be to find the things that bring you joy and incorporate them into your life. And in doing so, somehow it will bring balance. And I think as we've said a couple of times throughout this conversation, balance for me is, 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 is super important. And I think when people find balance, they find harmony and content, contentedness, if that's a word. Um, and so I would, I, would, I would just urge people to identify the things that bring them joy and make sure that they include them in their lives. That's amazing. And we spoke about this in pre-interview that it's not necessarily about the moniker the job description, not that you're a VP or president or SVP or whatever. You, I think you get to where you want to be in life, whatever that may be, by default of keeping up your balance and, and keeping up your, your joy and excitement for living. That's right. It's not about the title. It's about how you lead and how you're respected and how you're viewed by others and and how you you view the world actually absolutely and you know if you're open and you're respected and you communicate and as i said before you're an active listener for me that's the key right is being an active listener to people that is that defines leadership more than more than a title and and that's kind of what i strive to be i strive to be a leader in that respect amazing Thank you so much, Michael Kelly. I hope to have you on board sometime in the future when you are ruling the world, which (laughs) I would love. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Of course, I want to continue this conversation with you offline as well. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Aligned by Design was brought to you by Archipelago Media, a division of Archipelago Limited, Hong Kong. Our amazing theme music was composed for us by Ollie Shelton, a Brighton-based composer, producer, and pianist specializing in ambient, electronic, and alternative music. He is half of the UK duo Pella and works alongside a range of up-and-coming artists and established acts around the globe. You may contact him on Instagram at o underscore s underscore music and ollieshelltonmusic.com. That's O-L-L-Y Shelton music.com you may contact me on instagram at jj.acuna that's at jj.acuna we thank our guests and partners of the podcast and as always take time to align by your very own design whatever that may be